to Fan Front Office Podcast for our Winter Meetings Review. Around the horn, we've got Keith, Phil, and Todd. And this week, we are going to start off with the Angels. They ended up securing Otani beforehand with uh, a little bit of controversy we're now hearing, where he has some damage with his UCL in his pitching elbow. Granted, they're saying it's not anything they're worried about, but are we worried about potentially owning this guy and potentially drafting him pretty high right now? Where do you guys sit? Does this drop Otani for you, or are you going to wait it out? I probably wasn't going to get Otani very many times places anyways because i'm just not the guy that's going to draft the new shiny toy um that's full of hype i'm going to be the guy that drafts somebody else that is not <laughs> so and i agree with you phil for for me otani is kind of like those jordans that we all had in high school they were like 150 dollars. we begged our parents to get them because they were cool but when you think back on it now they're just they didn't make sense like spending 150 dollars on shoes just doesn't make sense. The fan in me really wants to own Otani this year so I can follow what he does in his first full season. But when you look at the value and the hype that's going to go into 2018 drafts, he's going to get picked up way before I'm comfortable taking him, especially in the leagues. I don't know if we talked about it on last week's show, but Yahoo's planning on splitting him up and he's going to be a pitcher only and a hitter only, which really limits his value um, in, in those formats. So for me, the pitching side is what I was most likely to buy in on, but with the risk of him maybe not pitching as many innings as he would need to produce or a possibility of him going down, it's just not an investment that I'm comfortable in making. Yeah, to use kind of a football reference from this season, he's like the Christian McCaffrey of the fancy baseball season where he can do so many things. He's the hot name, uh, but I think he's going to go way earlier than, uh, than his value will be worth when the season begins. All right. So the angels didn't just pick up the shiny new toy. They're kind of reloading and going all in. I guess Mike Trout's contract is coming up soon and they want to at least say, Hey, we're, making an effort here. They went out and made a couple trades to fill out their infield and signed, uh, they traded for Ian Kinsler and they signed Zach Kozart. How are we feeling about the Angels' middle infield right now? I think they're super old. I mean, their whole team just seems like you have Trout, right? But Ian Kinsler's 35. Zach Kozart's coming off the best year of his career, coming into his age 32 season. Albert Pujols is going to be 38 um, probably by the time the season starts. It just seems like they're a bump and bruise away from a decent lineup just becoming pretty awful again. I mean, I, I don't know what I expect to see out of Kinsler. I think his best days are probably behind him. He's been a really good hitter for a long time, but I don't expect much from him. He's going to hit in front of Trout, which you know should should really help. Cozart slotted in closer to like the five six seven hole. And although I like what he did last year and I'm comfortable taking him, you know, probably at 210, 215, I just I don't think their lineup's all that good, even with the moves they made. The problem is, is that now that they have Otani, they're going to put pulls at first base again, apparently. Is that really going to happen? Uh, be painful to watch. Uh, he's he, he was the worst player in baseball last year. Uh, he's basically net negative against your team every every at bat um man which is actually you're saying he's the worst player in baseball last year that's not an exaggeration i mean if you look at what his production was on both sides of the field 
he was, you know, if not the worst player, one of the worst players in baseball. So it's not like it's not like Phil, you're trying to be dramatic and be like, man, he's terrible. No, he was he was really awful last year. And on on roster re- resource right now, I'm looking at what their lineup is projected to be, and they have pool holes hitting fourth, which is hopefully just not right and that's you know yeah. just an oversight because <laughs> <It's not. laughs> i and they're really good i use roster resource all the time uh, the guy that runs the site is is super smart um but h- him hitting fourth it just man i hope that's not the case well and the thing is is also cozart is going to slot at third base um so he will get that eligibility at some point during the year um so that's a little something extra on top uh but i mean basically like you were saying that team is is not going really anywhere even though they're trying to make it seem like they are i don't really think that it's gonna work one one positive is for the pitchers so like otani if he does pitch well Garrett richards some of the other guys um that defense behind those guys is is really really good now and you can put a shortstop at third base like cozart um, you already have the best fielding shortstop in the game in Simmons. Kinsler can still man a pretty decent second base. Um, hopefully they don't put Trout first. But I, that's a very, very good Trout up the middle. That's a very, very good defense to, to be able to pitch behind. Yeah, I mean, of the of the additions, minus Otani, but between Kinsler and Cozart, I definitely like Cozart a lot more. His walk rate jumped from 7.3 to 12.2 last year. Uh, dual eligibility, like Phil said. Uh, he had a career year, and I think it's, he's going to be a solid player. You're going to be able to get him super late. As we said last week, the shortstop position isn't super deep. So Cozart would be a name I would watch. But I think they have a lot of name value guys. They re-signed Upton. They got Kinsler. A lot of big names. I'm sure they're probably not done yet, too. A lot of pitching help needed. But it, I think they're this year's 2015 Padres, if that makes any sense. Yeah. All right. Now on to the Philadelphia Phillies. They signed a first baseman. Um, they already have one of the best young first basemen in Reese Hoskins. So what are they thinking there signing, uh, Santana? I think they're just saying they're going to put him in left field and that's what's going to happen. I mean, what else is going to happen? That's yeah. So Hoskins split time last year between first base and left field, almost identical. I think it was like 50 games and 50 games or 30 games and 30 games, something like that. But he split time between left field and first base. And Santana's going to play first. So it means, like you were saying, Philly's going to have to, Austin's going to have to play left field full time, which probably isn't ideal. Santana actually gets a little bit of a boost in value as far as power goes, um, playing in that, that new ballpark. But as far as counting stats goes, he's probably going to get a little declined because the Phillies didn't score very much, run, very many runs last year. They were, you know, bottom five or bottom 10 in the league overall. Uh, but Santana hit a crazy amount of doubles last season, like 39 or, or 40. And I expect probably four or five of those to turn into home runs, bringing him back up to 26, 27 home runs this year, which isn't great, but it's better than I think the 21 he hit last year. Do you think it's crazy that a couple of those guys on that team just take a step forward this year, though? Because, I mean, you got Franco, who's got unlimited potential, basically. Um, you got Odebel Herrera, who had that one half year where his on base was like 500. Um, I mean, they have some pretty decent players. Cesar Hernandez has been a decent two hitter for the last two, three years. Aaron Oltier had a pretty nice season as the right fielder, too. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, I think that they have some decent potential, but the problem with them is going to be that they're all young, and that's what they're going to bank on is that they have to have that progression. I think it's a good signing, though, for fantasy purposes and for just the landing spot for him in particular. Yeah, and the, the thing with Santana and his RBI value is going to depend on whether or not Odubel Herrera or J.P. Crawford can get on base, which Herrera's been up and down with what his plate discipline is. He goes through like 50-game rolling stretches where he's got a great on-base and then he falls asleep for another 50 games. So he's really hard to project. Um, J.P. Crawford, you know, same thing in the minor leagues. He's got the skills to be, you know, a top 10, top 15 shortstop at the major league level, but, you know, can he do it consistently? So we're not really sure what Crawford's bat's going to do yet. Um, But, yeah, Santana's value as far as RBIs, he's going to go from a team in the Indians where they scored – a ton of runs last year to the Phillies where, you know, they could just couldn't get that offense going. Now let's transition to the Cubs. They've made quite a few bullpen signings. Where do we see this shaking out? Who ends up getting saves? Who ends up getting holds? Is there a leader at this point? Or are we going to have to wait until spring training to kind of sort it out? Well, the leader right now would probably still be Brandon Morrow, even though they added C-Shack, um, but one of the big things to watch on the stretch, they said they're still interested in Wade Davis. So everything's up in the air for the time being. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I was going to say that I would say uh, that essentially I think the person that's going to get the most saves on this team is not on the roster currently. I think that they're going to try to get one of the big-name free agents, uh, maybe even try to trade for Zach Britton. Um, the Orioles look like they're getting rid of everything. So I don't know. I, I just don't think that anyone on the team currently is going to lead the team in saves. Um, I think they're probably Morrow is going to get a lot of holds. Yeah, because they've made, let's see, they signed Tyler Chatwood, Drew Smiley, uh, Brandon Morrow, and Steve Shizik all within the last week, essentially. Um, that's pretty thick in that bullpen. It, it appears they're also meeting with you Darvish soon, so that could be a major splash on their end. I think they're really doing what the Cardinals usually do, and that's just take a shot on like four or five older relievers and see if one or two of them can stick. Uh, and I think that that's a, a decent move by the Cubs because they're probably on pretty cheap contracts. All right, on to the Yankees. They are pretty much rumored to be with any pitcher out there at this point. They are in desperate need to fill out that rotation with their all-in move of trading for Stanton. So are there any rumors right now that may impact people's fantasy leagues? Any pitchers well, they you're, just, you're wanting them to get? They just resigned CC Sabathia, so that should round out at least a little bit of their rotation. Um, so you have at least four guys with the fifth maybe being Jordan Montgomery. But you got Tanaka, Severino, Gray, and Sabathia for your your four. And you also have Chad Green, who's going to probably compete for a roster or for a rotation spot in spring training. They talked about extending him out. And he's a guy who I'd be kind of interested in, like deep, deep in drafts or late in drafts. He had a, an unbelievable season in relief, and, and if he can somewhat translate that into a starting role as like your you know SP six or seven, he could bring some really really good value in that uh, in that rotation. And I think between all the big name um, or low name guys that they're looking at, Garrett Cole, uh, Patrick Corbin, and Archer. Those are the three guys that the Yankees are currently looking at, maybe adding to the rotation. Uh, I think a move 
to New York for Corbin, pretty much the same. And Garrett Cole, he's a he'd be a bounce back candidate this season. So I don't think a change would be maybe a, a good thing for him. But uh, fantasy wise, I don't think there's a huge implication either way. Well, and the one domino we're all kind of waiting to fall is where will Manny Machado play in 2018? Will he stay in Baltimore or will he end up in Chicago on the south side with the White Sox? Or there's rumors he'll end up here in the desert. Fingers crossed. Yeah. What uh, what traction are we seeing out there, guys? Because uh, the main the the two quote unquote serious offers out there are from the White Sox and the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I think if the Yankees were allowed to make a serious offer, <laughs> they they would have by now. Um, but you know, rumor has it that the the management from the Orioles is all but refusing to trade directly with the Yankees. It's which, not a rumor. They've come out and said, yeah. Which I mean, I, I I get that, I guess. But doesn't I mean, doesn't that seem a little? If you can get your best value for your team moving forward, the Orioles aren't going to compete with the Yankees right now. I mean, it seems like mm-hmm. a silly thing to me to give up on what clearly would be the best value for you and your future team just because you don't like the name and the jersey on the other. I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, they're going to see him 20, 22 times next year and for the, well, at least next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see it being tough. But granted, they've also talked that they don't want to trade him to anyone who could potentially turn around and flip him to the Yankees mid-season well, or early that's season. What I think, that's what I think the most appealing deal is for the Diamondbacks because for a team who's you know halfway in, halfway out right now, they're they're not in a position where they want to rebuild. They don't have a lot of cap room or, or willing to spend more money. So a one year rental like Machado won't actually cost them a, a ton of prospects or the type of prospects that they don't physically have. Plus, mm-hmm. if they get halfway through the season and you know the season's a bust, you can still turn around and trade Machado to the Yankees for <laughs> you know a, a relatively high end prospect. I think even for a half year because oh, they're yeah. going to try and re-sign him. So I, I think for the Diamondbacks, you can give give up, you know, two or three of your top fifteen prospects for a rental, knowing that your top fifteen prospects aren't even top thirty guys on most clubs. You know, get Machado and make a run at it, and if it doesn't work, I mean, sell them to somebody else halfway through the season for you know for another one or two top fifteen, top thirty prospects. Yeah, I think this would be the perfect move for the Diamondbacks. I mean, the um, the Orioles want pitching, and our minor league pitchers and our farm system pitching is not all that great. Uh, Duplanter would probably be the top guy that we'd have to part with, but I would. This is the perfect move. It's one year. It's not too expensive, so it fits financially. They'd probably have to trade away Corbin, you know, to make the money work. But this would be the perfect deal. And worst case scenario, honestly, if you trade them halfway through the season, you're probably going to get better prospects back than what you trade to get them in the first place. Right. So I think it win-win for the Diamondbacks, 100. percent Well, and I I think that that's probably why the Orioles. I don't just don't see them trading him to be honest with you, because. Yeah. If, if anything, I think the Cardinals would probably have given up, you know, Waka and, and maybe one of their top pitching prospects, something along those lines um, to fill an immediate need and a future need kind of thing as well. So I, I just I'm not sure that that's going to be something that he's actually going to get traded. I think that that's going to be a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, maybe they trade him at the all star break or something. Yeah, because that would probably be the way to go if. You're, if they're so terrified about trading him to the Yankees or him ending up on the Yankees, just right, wait to exactly. last minute to trade him at the yeah. All, yeah, exactly. If you trade him yeah. at the trade deadline, no one can trade him again. So, 
that would well, probably be the way to go. Clearly, the Orioles aren't getting the value that they wanted. They've said, <clears throat> or reports have come out several times in the past few weeks or so that they want to trade him. Like they, they're, they're trying actively trying to shop him, and they're they're not getting the value back that they they want, or they would have already made the move by now. So part of me wants to see the move done to see what type of level prospects that Machado can bring back in a one-year rental type agreement. Because yeah. you know we talked about it a few times, you know perceived value versus actual value may not be matching up with what Machado's performance has been over the last eighteen months. So if if he doesn't net very many top prospects or a top prospect at all, I mean it might shock some you know some baseball analysts out there because. I'm just not sure the value's there. I, I don't think that he's going to bring back somebody like even a Waka. Like, Waka's a a decent decent pitcher. He's somebody who a lot of teams would be excited to own. So, I, I mean, Waka plus a top prospect from the Cardinals is too much for one year of Machado, in my opinion. Unless you're a team like the Cardinals or the Diamondbacks, where you're one piece away, where you're already a top ten team, top eight team, threatening for a World Series. Well, maybe you overpay in that situation, but. White Sox doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, the White Sox doesn't make sense to me either. But, I mean, if you think about it, the Cubs gave up Gliber Torres for a half a season of Aroldis Chapman, and then he signed with the Yankees again, which kind of sucks for the Cubs. But, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, so, I mean, that's that's a thing that can happen at the same time. So, you never, never really know. So, it, let's say he goes to the Diamondbacks. Where do you see him playing? Because they already have Jake Lamb at third. Does he slot in at shortstop and then they just hold one of their shortstops in the minors? Do you hold Marte in the minors? Uh, I think he would, he would play shortstop. I think Marte would probably... Move over to second base. Lamb stays at third base. Uh, they got a pretty good first baseman there, right here. Yeah. Um, and then it just it, it gives them a lot of depth in the outfield. So then you have Tomas, Dreary, Owings, Peralta, Pollock that can all shuffle around there in the outfield um, and, and share at bats. But I, I and even if Marte doesn't produce well, you still have Dreary and or Chris Owings that can play second base as well. Because yeah, one of the comments that, um, or one of the rumors that's came out between the middle infielders of the Diamondbacks is that Catal Marte, that's the one guy they don't want to trade. Agreed. So if we were to get Machado, he would probably slide over to second and start. Um, looking at but, this, uh, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic actually went deep into what the market is for Machado. And part of the deal the D-backs would be including is Brandon Drury, which mm. could work for Drury, being as the Orioles park is kind of homer-prone. Yeah. Not quite as much as Chase Field, but I could see that as clearing away for second base, for Marte, and slotting Machado in yeah. short. And that lineup be nasty yeah very fun season but that but also that would be an amazing fit for brand jury be probably the everyday third baseman for the orioles that would that would be good for him because isn't third base his natural position yeah so coming up he was a third baseman and then he got moved to the outfield um just to fit because obviously we have jake lamb and then you know he's very versatile but his natural position is third base that's where he's most comfortable at and so that'd be a great fit for the orioles sweet let's package them up ship them off let's get this done <laughs> that'd be great come on Derek Banda Hall, and... let's get this done <laughs> banda and Drury. there we go all right, and we did see one other mega deal, one could say, but it was essentially a salary dump. 
the Dodgers and the Braves. Where, <laughs> what kind of impact do we see this on uh, on fantasy baseball? Or is this more of just a, a, a real-world baseball move? This is the Dodgers playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. Oh? that That's Ooh. legitimately what it is. They're shifting money around from year to year and making it to where that they now are underneath the – uh, the tax th- or the luxury tax threshold this year, so that they don't have to pay 50% as a repeat offender. Um, it's it's they're paying the same amount of money over two years uh, with the Kemp contract as as they would with the players that they had um, over the one year. But what they did was is they shifted it to the second year, got underneath that luxury tax threshold. And now they're uh, apparently in play for Harper and Machado next year. That is what I'm hearing. Um, apparently, somebody in the Dodgers, uh, let's see, the Dodgers GM, no, wow, this article has it backwards. Uh, <laughs> the Braves GM used to work for LA, and they began talking about this deal back in mid November. Um, Adrian Gonzalez, uh, Scott Casimir, Brandon McCarthy, and Charlie Colberson headed to the Braves, clearing out a spot for Acuna and clearing salary for the Dodgers. And I think that's probably the biggest fantasy impact for this deal. Um, if this was 2009, we, you know, we'd all be going crazy, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, for the most part, I mean, uh, Aegon has already been, you know, released or designated for assignment by the Braves. So he's not even, you know, he spent two hours, I think in the, in the clubhouse for the Braves, but that was about it. Um, and I think Kemp is, I'm not sure what the Kemp situation is, but it sounds like he's on the market or he could possibly be released as well. Um, I think that it's more of a complicated contract for, for that, but um, the biggest impact I think for me is that Acuna now has a clear path to at least 350 at bats. And that was kind of the threshold for me that if I can get a guaranteed 350 to 400 at bats out of Acuna, to me, he's a top 100 player. And I know that's an unpopular opinion and a lot of people have been bashing me on that and I'm okay with that. I'm totally fine with it. But the impact that he can make in three-fourths of a season, he's potentially a top 20 overall player in a full season. So he's got the upside more than maybe anybody else that's not on a current MLB roster. What he's done in the last 365 days in the minors, in fall ball, playing for the ABL, he's absolutely crushed the ball. Um, He's ready for major league pitching, and if he can get that much closer to regular at-bats, um, it just kind of solidifies him as a top 100 draft uh, pick for me. Sweet. All right, on to our second topic today, and it's players we've come around on heading into 2018. And kind of from our preview, this is what we're dubbing dudes who steal hella bases that we love now. <laughs> This may be a reoccurring segment, but we're going to keep talking mostly about the same guys. So who have you come around on, Keith? Um, So for me, the the biggest change is I spent, you know, a few months last year kind of perplexed by the Trey Turner love. In fact, I was was probably down too far down on him last year. So after this season ended and I started, you know, running my comps and doing numbers and stuff like that and projections – the one thing that stood out to me is how well Trey Turner had performed on a per game basis. Um, and the two things that he tends to excel at in the per game are two things that I'm planning on overvaluing going into the next year. And that steals and batting average. 
Um, so when I ran numbers, kind of giving a boost to stolen bases and looking at per game production, Trey Turner was at the top of that spreadsheet. Now we were talking before uh, we jumped on on air that maybe I put too much stock in overvaluing steals and that that one projection. But to me, that speaks to how valuable Trey Turner could possibly be. If he puts together 150 games, 155 games, and steals as many bases as he's done throughout the first couple of seasons of his career, he's undoubtedly a top 10 player in fantasy and possibly top one, two, or three. He's got just as good of a chance as being the number one overall player, in my opinion, as anybody else as long as he gets regular time. Phil, who have you come around on? Yeah, I mean, Trey Turner. Um, you guys know how much I was beating the I hate Trey Turner uh, drum <laughs> last year. Uh, it is kind of hard to eat my words, but at the same time, you got to be a man and do what you got to do. Um, Trey Turner is definitely a lot better player than I thought he was. Um, I didn't see the light whenever it came to stolen bases. Um, kind of thought you can sprinkle them out here and there, but whenever you do get a player at a premium position like that, and you can uh, potentially, I mean, what he had, he, he didn't even play a hundred games last year and he was like third or fourth in the league in stolen bases. So, um, man, just let him get to 150, 160 games. See, maybe he can get up to 80. That would be amazing in a roto league. Um, yeah. pretty much set you ahead uh, leaps and bounds in that one category and he's not dead weight in the other categories like a lot of the other guys are and, and if you look at him versus Hamilton as far as the amount of games that they've actually how many stolen bases they've had and the amount of games they've played their pace for stolen bases is very similar I mean it, it, it to me I think it's like they both pace 80 steals per season if they played a full season. Um, and so if I can get Turner at shortstop, like you were saying, fill a premium position and still get the batting average and still get a decent amount of pop and potentially get 80 steals. I mean, if he goes 20, 80, which is unlikely and hits 275, I mean, who else is going to be, who else is going to come close to him as far as fantasy value? Well, you got to think he's going to also kill it and runs in that lineup. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like 20, 80 is like the best case scenario, but I mean, how many players potentially could go 2080 in a season? Yeah, I think he's probably the only one. Yeah. Maybe if D. Gordon believed in the fly ball revolution. <laughs> I don't right, know. So Playing in Seattle, I don't think so. I'm on uh, I'm on baseball reference and I'm just looking at what his 162 game average is. So he's just under 200 games for his career. So if he played exactly 162 games, which won't happen. This is what his career average would be. 20 home runs. Uh, where's the stolen bases at? 81 steals. His 162-game average is 2081. Wow. Will, will he do that? Well, probably, probably not. Like it, It's not likely that he does that. But if he hits 304, which is his career batting average, 304 and goes 2080, he's the number one player in fantasy. And it's not close. Wow. And considering so, yeah, he's I, I, middle infield and outfield eligible, that, that does give him a little boost. Next year, I don't think he'll have outfield. I think he played shortstop Ooh. only. All right. Something to keep keep an eye on. So he only he yeah. started 25 games at second. Oh, no, he only played shortstop in 2017, so yeah. 95 games. So he'll only yep. be shortstop eligible in, in almost every single league except for Yahoo because they count what you played in, like, college, I think. It's college, <laughs> uh, high school, college, great. collegiate, yeah. So if you uh, if you spent some time, like, during warm-ups in center field, they count center fields, you know, it's, it's confusing but it works all right todd who have you come around on 
Um, well, for me, it's just kind of a, a general theory, you know, where now in the first round, and I think Heath will like this point. If you look at the first round, Trout one, Altuve two, Goldschmidt three, but then you have Arenado four, and you look at, and then Betts five. So four of those five guys steal a lot of bases. And when you have Arenado, who doesn't steal any bases, or for example, Carlos Correa, it's ranked eighth overall, according to ESPN, uh, just the early 300 rankings. But those guys don't steal a lot of bases, where you have Trey Turner nine and in a you know five category setting you're going to get so much more value with the stolen bases so early in the first couple rounds i want a guy who can also steal bases and kind of give you value in every category Again, yeah, my, my, yeah go for it keith i was gonna say my my anti arenado first round argument um is just like you were saying it's he's done so good over the last three years he's led the league in rbis what three consecutive seasons is, did he do it again last year I mean, he was in the 130s, so... So he's been so incredible the last three years that it's not fair for us to project future growth for Arenado. Like, I just... I don't think he's going to do better than what he's done the last three years, and that still hasn't finished him in the top five the last three or four fantasy seasons. So what happens if he misses 20 games or if he doesn't hit 316? Or if for some reason the Colorado offense isn't what it's been and he lucks out of 20 or 30 RBIs. He's barely a top 15 player. So drafting him fourth overall when that's literally as high as he can possibly finish. I don't want to draft somebody fourth overall if I don't think they can be the number one overall player. Like I, I want, you know, he's going to give consistency. So him and Rizzo and a couple other guys are going to going to give you consistency, but they're not going to give you upside. So if you value consistency over upside in the first round, you know, I can see him going seventh, eighth, ninth, or even tenth overall. But for me, I want Altuve, who I think can be number one overall. I want Turner, who I think can be number one overall. Trout can be number one overall. Um, there's several guys who I think could could be that. I just don't think Arenado is one of them. Yeah, and it's just he gives you what is very easy to find now, especially at third base. Um, he gives you homers and RBIs, and it's easier to find. In the first round, I think having an advantage in the stolen base column with a guy who's not going to kill you or he's going to be a solid home run, run, RBI guy, you know, why would you take a Renato over someone that's going to steal your bases? Yeah, I, I think that's going to be kind of a sore spot for a lot of people that are listening, yeah. which, is, which is fine, but I just... Come back to me midseason, and if we drafted Arenado, you know, in the top ten, and he's barely in the top twenty for that reason, because he's going to give you zero stolen bases, and he lucks out of some of the categories that he's been extremely consistent in. I mean, I don't want to bank on batting average and RBIs. I I I can't bank on batting average and RBIs. It's just not a safe stat to to be able to to invest in, and that's what his value has been at a position that I think is more stacked than any other position. Third base is just so so deep. At least you can get any one of the top three or top ten third basemen and be pretty safe where I don't think you can do that necessarily at one of the middle infield positions. Yeah, because ESPN has him four. And then, um, for example, they have Stanton 11, which I don't know if they've updated or not, but that's, you know, Stanton's a guy who could potentially hit 60 homers this year where Arenado's so, going to give you 40. And not to not to beat this thing into the ground, but Arenado finished 15th overall in the player Raider last year. Mm-hmm. And, and he did that with, like, insane numbers. Like, yeah. how, how is it possible that he's going to have – you know, more than 130 RBIs, that he's going to have more than 100 runs, more than 37 home runs, more than a 309 batting average. Like, where do you project him getting better? Is he going to hit 330? Probably not. Is he going to have 160 RBIs? 
I doubt it. Is he going to hit, you know, 45 home runs? Well, maybe. But again, home runs is the the category that, you know, six extra home runs is not going to win you a league. 25 extra steals is probably, it might, I mean, it might do it. That might move the needle enough to win you that entire category. Yeah, I agree. The one thing about it is, and you hit the nail on the head earlier about it, uh, is the consistency part. A lot of people pick first round picks as a floor instead of a ceiling and kind of go for upside later in the draft, like a Byron Buxton, a couple rounds later kind of thing. You know what I mean? And and that makes sense. If you're going to pair, like if you have a super risky pick, um, in, in the first round or the first few rounds and you want to pair him with an Arenado type or, you know, Votto is extremely consistent. And, right. you know, I, I would argue Votto and Arenado both don't have a ton of upside. I don't see Votto as being the number one overall play, player in fantasy. I just I don't see that happening. But Votto is also not being drafted in fourth overall. You know, if you want a solid, consistent type, Anthony Rizzo is just about as consistent as it gets. And he's being drafted like 18th or 20th overall. So I'd be happy to take him there as the consistent type to round out maybe a riskier pick in the first few rounds. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to come down to preference. I mean, some some of the people drafting out there, you know, are going to go Aaron Otto in the first round and Rizzo in the second round and feel great about it. I mean, maybe that's not a bad strategy. I just think for me, um, you know, I'm going big and, and looking for somebody who I think could impact my entire season. Right. I can, I can find home runs later. I can't find the stolen bases later unless it's killing something else. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's the way I look at it. Unless you get lucky with somebody who hasn't, it's going to happen. Somebody's going to have a breakout season and, you know, steal 30 bases or 40 bases and still hit, you know, 300. But projecting who that is is really, really difficult. With the kid. <laughs> with Merrifield. <laughs> Thirty how those, season. How are those shirts coming? By yeah. The way? Well, that he, speaking he of which, Wit and Arenado, by the way, <laughs> in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> speaking of Wit, I had to flip a coin on which player I wanted to say I was coming around on, and I didn't land on Wit Merrifield. I landed on the other one that Phil just men- mentioned, Byron Buxton. Uh, he's finally coming around. Uh, Two fifty average, but he did show some pop. Of the top 10 stolen base, uh, of the top 10 base stealers in 2017, he had the fourth highest slugging and OPS in that group. So I see him having an increase in both power and stolen bases as long as he can stay healthy. And he's kind of my, my coming around on him. Always wrote him off because he couldn't hit, and it seems like he's finding his groove. Byron Buxton has been my dude since day one. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not even gonna lie. I, it's been. It's been really hard to kind of still stay on the bandwagon. He's. He's made it very difficult. But the problem is, is I know. I know. I've said this in the past, but he. He's grown at the major league level. Like he's learned how to play baseball the right way at the major league level. He just had tools. And they were like, hey, go do this. And he was like, all right, I, got, I can do that. You, and that's legitimately how he had played for most of his life. Now he's getting to the point where he can't do things lazily and, and he has to do things the right way. He's learning how to do those at the major league level. But, man, watching him on defense and on the base paths is, is awesome to watch. That speed is just wow. And the good news is he just turned 24. So <laughs> right? actually. 
Actually, today is his birthday, so happy birthday, Byron Buxton, December 18th. But uh, I, mean, I got I got a few bad birthday news items, I guess, uh, on on Buxton. I know. Cover your ears, Byron. <laughs> no, it's 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 tough because he has the skills where he's one of a few players where you can kind of forget about what the production's been because there's so much future upside. He's got the prospect pedigree that could carry him, you know, 50, 60 picks above what his production's been. Um, but still, that's not something that I'm comfortable with based on. So he played 140 games last year. Um, and in those 140 games, he had 16 home runs and had a 29% strikeout rate. So of the players who strike out 29% of the time, the majority of those guys have 20-plus power. Now, now on the, the flip side of that is they also don't steal 30 bases a season. Um, but I really worry about his his bat. I just don't think it's come around enough for me to want to invest as high because the floor is super ugly. I mean, the floor is he strikes out 37% of the time, gets on base at a 270 clip, makes you know a bunch of diving catches in the outfield, which keeps him in the lineup, but somewhere in the 7, 8, or 9 hole. And he just doesn't hit home runs and, and maybe steals you bases. So the floor is just is pretty low for me. And where he's being drafted, it's for me, I, I won't probably own any Byron Buxton this year. I mean, the thing about him is is he's shown the flashes of brilliance, though. Like he had the, uh, what was it, uh, September two years ago, not last year, but the year before, where he had like what was it, thirteen or 10, 10, 11 home runs in one month, and he just dominated. I think he had like ten stolen bases to go with it. So I mean, it's just amazing what he can do if he can put it together, and he definitely has done that for at least short periods of time. If he can put it together for a long period of time, wow, he could yeah, he, yeah. he could be Mike Trout. He could that's, have a that's what makes out. him so exciting have a 2016 Jonathan VR season or a 2017 wet Merrifield season like he could happen he could, he could do that but that also means that he's just as risky to do what VR did in 2017 or what Whit Merrifield is going to do do in 2018 which is not be good at baseball <laughs> <laughs> I, now, I would agree that he is getting drafted way too high at this point he's getting drafted right about Christian Yelich territory in the 60 65 range uh, which that's uh, that again could be the, the dynasty kind of inflation Yelich is that crazy uh, it would depend what on the Yel- type of what is, what is Yel- what does Yelich do for you put it that way mediocre power some some stolen bases Decent average, decent home run or decent RBIs, decent runs scored. I mean, he's not pushing the needle in any direction. But you got Byron Buxton. That I mean, we're talking about how how stolen bases are so down, and, and this guy could potentially steal fifty stolen bases. All right, well, let's you know. do a let's do an impromptu. Would you rather here? Um, you guys up for that? All right, oh, let's do it. Oh yeah, I'm, All I'm right, taking so- Buxton the whole way. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Mike Trout or <laughs> All right, so would you would you rather Buxton or Chris Taylor? Buxton. Hmm. See, I don't know where Buxton's going to hit in that lineup, but he's probably not hitting f- in front of Sano. Seager, Bellinger. Oh, you're talking Taylor, not Buxton. Yeah, Chris Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh probably hitting 7th or 8th in that lineup. All right, so Chris Taylor or Byron Buxton. I know we got Phil in there, but what do you guys do Jeremy and hmm. I I'd probably lean Taylor a little bit. I I'd almost coin flip it. Okay, Taylor Taylor's being drafted 90th overall. I would go Taylor, and Buxton's going what 60th? Did we say? Uh, 
sixty third. Yeah. Sixty. Okay. Um, what about Lorenzo Kane or Byron Buxton? I'd be taking Kane. Oof. Give me my boy. I'm gonna take Buxton. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Um, all right, Whit Merrifield or Byron Buxton? <laughs> that's, a, that's a for real one. I, you know what? I'm taking Whit Merrifield. Wow. Yikes. I really? Don't, I don't think it's close. I would rather have well, you guys talk about how much I hate Whit, but I would take Whit here. Like, I can see drafting Whit at like 110, 115. I don't think I would be comfortable drafting Buxton until, you know, the 12th to 14th round. See, I would, I would go Buxton here. But, I mean, the thing is, you see him getting better every season. I mean, he, here's a guy, his rookie year, 4.3 walk rate, 6.9 two years ago, 7.4 this year. Every year, the trends are getting better, you know. 35% strikeout rate in 2016, which is terrible. But it was down to 29.4 this year. You know, there's a trend that he is getting better at the major league level. He is improving every year, 29 stolen bases. I mean, the trend, there is a trend there. That's yeah. something... Uh, all right, what about uh, Cespedes or Byron Buxton? God, the level of hate I have for Cespedes. <laughs> I am going Buxton all day. I would go Cespedes. I would go Cespedes, too. Another guy who's had an injury-plagued kind of last 18 months, but per-game production is pretty solid for him. Um, all right, Tommy Pham or Byron Buxton? God, I hate you. <laughs> Tell Tommy us more. Tommy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be leading going, fam. You already knew the answer to that before you even said it, too. Fam, <laughs> fam, yeah, I'm going, fam's my fam. other boy. I'm going fam for sure. That that one's not close yeah. at all. Oh, yeah. I, I could take fam in the in the 50s, which is irresponsible. But I <laughs> I'm not taking Byron Buxton in the top 100. Uh, all right, Chris Davis, the only relevant Chris Davis versus Byron Buxton. Chris. Yeah, the only relevant one. We're not talk- we don't we don't actually bring up the other Chris Davis in the podcast. Like he's, I would take Buxton. Oh my god! Oh. Because of the exact reasons we've talked about. Because of the exact reasons we've talked about. You literally were just talking about how you didn't want to draft Arenado that early because that's all he gives you is home runs. I can get that same exact player way later in the draft or in free agency at some point in the season. I cannot get that same player more times than not um, that Buxton is in free agency. Hey, Jeremy. Yeah. You got the board bet uh, paper ready? Yes, sir. (sighs) Oh, boy. What's the Uh, bet? I say that Chris Davis finishes higher on ESPN's player rater for 2017. For standard 5x5. Yep. They're here to typing. Ah, let's do it. Run it. All right. First uh, 2018 bet of the year. I feel great about this one. <laughs> and you know what? To be to be, to be fair, uh, Chris Davis is being drafted 68th overall, and Buxton's being drafted 63rd. So they both play the outfield position. Polar opposites as far as players. And that's uh, what I was thinking. So you know, anything could happen. Like like if Buxton has steals 50 bases. And hits, you know, two thirty. He can still outvalue what Chris Davis does if he hits thirty three home runs instead of thirty eight home runs. Uh, but I think it, you know, Chris Davis is a lot safer bet than than Buxton is. Sweet, I'm pretty excited about that first uh, first first bet of the year. Got to get one on the board. All, All right, I think that's 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 good as far as it, I I worked my way from like the nineties all the way up um and clearly i think phil has got the highest uh, regard for buxton 
I'm probably the lowest, and you guys are probably somewhere in the middle, right? That's fair. Yeah. A yeah. okay. ton of upside. It's just the risk also comes with the upside, which, you know, taking him around 100 for me is like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe he hits and you end up with a top 25, top 40 player. And, you know, in the 10th round or 9th round, maybe that's not a, a terrible pick. I mean, that's that's essentially what I'm doing with um, Ronald Acuna. I mean, I'm trying to take him, you know, in the top 100 and just hope that he hits and nets me a top 50, top 40 overall player. So, Well, I mean, you were talking about players that end up being, uh, you know, in the first round that could potentially be the first overall pick um, or the best overall player at the end of the year. Now, to me, I try to see guys that could potentially vault into the first round. And because of the stolen base potential, I mean, I think that he's a guy that maybe not the first round, but man, early second round pick um, in 2019, something of that nature for Buxton. I see big things. Definitely the, the upside is there. So in 2018, we are looking to add some fan listener leagues. How shall people reach out to us? Well, hopefully you guys are all following, you know, the, the four of us and the, the podcast. Um, so Twitter seems to be the easiest place for you guys to kind of reach out. Um, you can send a DM to either at fan front office. You can send it to me or, or Phil or Jeremy or Todd. Um, and just kind of let us know that you're interested in being in one of the leagues. Um, I think in kind of discussing it, we're not super firm on what the, the league settings and league size is going to be. Um, but I think it sounds like we're going to do, what, two leagues, um, make one, probably a slow draft, 15 or 16 teams to try and get a bunch of people in there. Um, and then maybe we'll do a head-to-head uh, 12 team, you know, categories league or something like that um, later on in the season once like kind of spring fires up. So uh, maybe do a, a slow draft and kick that off pretty early in the season and then do a uh, an auction later on when it gets closer to spring. Find us on the web, fanfrontofficepodcast.com. Tweet at us at fanfrontoffice. Keith, where can they find you? Check me out at fantasy underscore Keith. Send in all your questions. Love to interact with you guys online. I am Phil and I am at the baseball Jedi. Todd, find me at Goldie Happens. And you can find me at front office chair. Alrighty. Well, gang, thank you for listening to us during this uh, winter meeting wrap up. And we'll be back in in a few weeks to kind of catch up with you on any additional hot stove news that's fantasy relevant. And we're also going to be talking soon about how to create the best league. What are some of the options out there? Which are our favorites? And we'll just kind of tease that out there that that's going to be one of our special episodes here during the offseason. So until our next show, good luck in your leagues and your offseasons.